Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Heaven. Good morning, church. Good morning. I'm so excited about today. What an awesome time of worship and being in God's presence and just growing in His love and our response back to Him. And I'm excited about today. This is kind of the beginning of summer here at Rolling Hills. And so we're kicking off a brand new series. We're looking forward to summer and all God's going to teach us. The summer for me growing up was always kind of a time of growth. I don't know, maybe for you, but I remember being in school and just watching the clock count down. I couldn't wait till that last bell went off, you know, and it was like, summer, yeah. And so you kind of run out the doors and you're so excited. But the summer for me was just this, this time of spiritual growth. It was a time of, you know, maturing, of growing physically and mentally, emotionally. I remember for us, and I don't know about you guys, but I remember going to visit, you know, our family. It was always family reunion time in the summer, you know, and so we would drive and see our family and spend time time together. I remember going to see my grandmother and uh, maybe some faces are coming into your mind, but I remember going to West Texas and my grandmother lived there and we would go in the back door. She had a screen on her porch and we would go there. We would sit and listen to the stories that she would tell about, you know, growing up and all those things that she went through. And I remember driving to Mississippi for my dad's family and being with my uncle JR and just listening to stories about everything that happened there. And it, it shaped me, right? I mean, people poured into me and it shaped me. I remember in the summer going to summer camp. I don't know how many of you guys went to camp, but I remember camp was always a highlight for me. I just grew spiritually and there were, you know, summer staffers and volunteers, adults who spoke into my life and, and they helped mold me and shape me. I, I remember doing summer reading and I remember being at church and I remember doing basketball camps and all these things. And at the end of the summer, every year before we would go back to school, I would stand at our bedroom door and we had a little marker and we would measure our height. And it was always kind of the first of the year. And, and I, it seemed like every year I would grow up, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting taller. And it happened in the summer, it seemed like. And so I pray this summer is a time of growth for us, a time of maturity, a time of us going deeper in our faith and deeper in our walk and learning that God has a plan for us. Many of you probably have been celebrating graduations and whether it's college graduations or, you know, high school graduations. So I grew up, it's just like high school graduation. And now there's like eighth grade graduation and fifth grade graduation and kindergarten graduation and pre-K graduation. We had like 50 pre-K kids up here in cap and gown a couple of weeks ago. But it's just, there's just all this graduation. But the reason we celebrate graduation is because we know that the best is yet to come right? We know we weren't just created for school. School's great, and we love it. We want to learn, but people pour into us because they see the potential in us, and they say, you were meant for more, and God is still at work in your life, and God is writing a story, and the best is yet to come, and I'm so thankful for people who poured into my life and who continue to pour in my life because God is writing a story in my heart, and God is writing a story in your heart, and what God would say to you today is this. He's not finished. What God would say to you today is he's still writing. What God would say to you today is the best is yet to come. He has awesome plans for you. He's gonna use you in a great way for his glory. You hold on to him. You stay strong in him and in his word and you grow deeper in him and you understand this incredible truth. The best is yet to come. 
The best is yet to come. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. We're going to cover a lot of scripture today. It's so exciting. I love God's word. And we're going to walk verse by verse through 2 Corinthians this summer. And uh, we're going to be in chapters 1 through 3 this morning and just unpacking the word of God. Uh, But I'm so excited about what God's going to teach us because I really believe this is going to be a summer of growth as God pours into us. And then God wants us to pour into others and to be used for his glory. Uh, 2 Corinthians, if you don't have a Bible, maybe you have a mobile device, you can pick up the scriptures online at YouVersion or we'll put the words on the screen. But I want you to see is we're going to give you a little background. But 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul probably around AD 55 or so from Macedonia. Uh, Paul had been in Corinth a couple years earlier. He'd helped establish the church there. So it was a young church. It was a growing church. It was a vibrant church. There was good things that were happening. And so Paul spent about a year and a half in Corinth and then he goes on and is planting churches elsewhere. But he loved that church in Corinth so much. Now Corinth was just kind of a real successful city. Uh, it was one of the chief cities back in the ancient Greece. I mean, it was a, on a major trade route. People came from all over. About 250,000 free people lived there and about 400,000 slaves. So that can tell you that it was a very affluent city, a very wealthy city. It was also a city that was uh, known for its immorality because the temple of Aphrodite was right in the middle of the city. And so lots of pagan worship, lots of temple prostitutes, because you know Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and so there were you know, temple prostitutes there. So very immoral. In fact, back in the ancient day, if you were doing something immoral, people would go, huh, you're acting like a Corinthian. You know? And so kind of gives you an idea of what the city was like. Uh, if you want kind of a modern day illustration, maybe think about Vegas. You know, it was like, you know, you had successful and wealthy and yet things happened there that you don't talk about there, you know. And so that was Corinth. And Paul had gone there and he led people to Christ. And people are coming to know Jesus and they're finding hope and they're finding life. And, and the church started there. And Paul loved this church. Man, he loved this church. Uh, but he had moved on. He was planting these other churches. But he kept writing letters back to the church in Corinth. He kept pouring into them and saying, you're special to me. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote four letters that we know up to the church in Corinth. The first letter, we don't have anymore. Uh, If you go and read 1 Corinthians, that's his second letter. But in that letter, he says, in my previous letter I wrote you, we don't have that. We don't know what happened to it. It's gone. But we do have 1 Corinthians, which would be the second letter that he wrote, which is an awesome, awesome letter. It's a great book of the Bible for reading, for studying, for how God calls us to live. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Uh, Last year, we did a whole study on 1 Corinthians, and it's just amazing, God's word. The third letter that he wrote, we don't have that one either. Uh, We know in 2 Corinthians that he writes and he says, guys, I wrote a painful letter to you, a hard letter to you. Now, probably some of that immorality that was in the culture had spread over into the church. There were people who were doing some things that they shouldn't be doing. And Paul stepped into that and says, guys, listen, I love you. I care about you. Don't do this. Have you ever noticed that the people who really love you in your life are the ones who are willing to speak truth? You know, the ones who are saying, hey, you got something in your teeth, you know? I mean, don't do this. You know, something's not right in your life. And Paul loved the church. And so he wrote this hard letter to them. Now, we don't have that one either. We don't know if they crumbled it up and threw it away or what happened. But now we have the fourth letter, which is 2 Corinthians. And this is the most personal letter, in fact, of all the New Testament. This is the letter that Paul just pours out his heart. And so as we read through today, I I just pray that the words resonate with you. 
Because you can think about like a loving parent who's writing to their child. You can think about a pastor, you know, who just loves the congregation like I love you guys. You know, it's just this love exudes from Paul to the people that are so special to him. And he goes, I just want you to get it. I want you to understand this. And there's three things that Paul wants to pour into the people. Now, the overall theme of 2 Corinthians is the best is yet to come. And we're going to talk about heaven. We're going to get that in a couple of weeks. And all this is Paul's calling the people to look forward. But today, Paul pours out three truths that he goes, I just want you guys to understand these truths. And I believe they're important for all of us. So let's pick up here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul identifies himself as the author writing this letter to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is kind of the standard greeting that Paul gives, you know, grace and peace. I love those. You see, as you're growing in the grace of God, what happens is there's a peace in your life. The peace that passes understanding. It doesn't mean everything's perfect, right? None of us are perfect here. We all go through challenges. We all go through hard times. But the grace of God in us exudes peace in our lives. So he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 3, he kind of expands on this first truth. And the first truth is comfort. I think this is what Paul wants them to know, wants them to get. Understand this. Listen for this word comfort. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So what's Paul saying? He's saying comfort that we receive from God. In the hard times that we go through, God is with us. And when God is with us, then we are called to comfort others. Have you ever noticed that in your life? When you go through a hard time and a difficulty and Maybe it's relationally or maybe it's financially or whatever it is. And later on, there's somebody who comes up to you and, and, and they're going through the same thing and you're able to speak into their life in a way that you never could before. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you go to those people and, and you're just like, wow, you know, and you can meet them in a way that you didn't have that experience before. And so he says, out of the comfort that we've received, let us be people who comfort others. It's so important for us to be authentic. And a lot of times we want to put on a, a mask and everything's good and everything's fine. But our best ministry comes out of our brokenness so many times. Our best ministry comes out of our hurt and our pain. When we've been comforted, when we've walked through hard times or through dark times, we're then able to offer that comfort to others. And if you're walking through those hard times right now, but yet you just try to do it on your own, you're robbing other people from the opportunity to hear about God and what God's doing in your life. And God's saying, you have a story to tell. And I'm writing a story on your heart. You be able to share that. Pick up in verse five. He says, for just as we, just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. Paul's going, I can say this because I've gone through hard times. So Paul is offering that comfort. Nine times in these five verses, Paul uses this word comfort. Think he's trying to get a message across? <laughs> he's like, guys, in the midst of your hurt and pain, God is at work. In the midst of your hurt and pain, God is there for you, redeeming, restoring, 
He loves you. The word comfort, biblically, it, it comes from a Latin word, fortis, which literally means to be brave. Brave. It's not a word that just comfort that I go sit down on the couch and I, you know, curl up in a ball. Sometimes there's times for that, but it means to be brave even in the midst of difficulties, to be brave and to be strong and to stand firm. We're all going to go through hard times. We live in a fallen world. The best is yet to come. <laughs> but in this world, you take comfort that Christ is for you, that you are more than conquerors through Christ and through Christ alone. And out of what you've received, then you give. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. What Paul's saying here is this. When you go through those hard times, and we all will, and maybe you're in the midst of it today, or maybe it's gonna come later on, but, but listen, ask for prayer. There is power in prayer. You know, Paul says, thank you for praying for me. Now, if the apostle Paul needed prayer and people praying for him, don't you think we do? <laughs> but a lot of times when we go through those difficulties or we go through those challenges, we wanna do it on our own. I'm gonna fight through it. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm not gonna share this with anybody. But there is power in prayer. There is power when we open up, when we're authentic, when we're vulnerable. We say, listen, I'm struggling. I need help. God goes, good. Because that's what I'm here for. That's what the body of Christ is for. Every week on Sunday mornings, we uh, have the communication cards and we offer people the opportunity to write out a prayer request on the back of that communication card. Every Monday morning, we pray as a staff through every one of those prayer requests. And guys, we've seen God do miracles. I mean, we've seen God do amazing things. And I just encourage you, the power of prayer, don't fight the battle alone. We need one another. And by the grace of God, he's given us his love and his spirit and his comfort. Paul keeps going in verse 12. He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as well as we boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. So Paul says, guys, we're gonna boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. We are pouring into you, Paul says, Timothy and I and Silas will see these people. He goes, but you have potential to live it out and to live it out for the glory of God. He says, because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you. First, so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia, then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? Paul had planned to come over and see the people in Corinth. And some people were upset. They were like, well, Paul, you said you were coming and you never showed up. Now, we don't know why he wasn't able to come. And maybe he had shipwrecked, right? Maybe he was in jail. Maybe there was persecution that was happening. But Paul wasn't able to make it. But Paul says, you know what? God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. 
And, and I apologize that I wasn't able to be there, but listen, God's timing is perfect. I want you to hear that today. God's timing in your life is perfect. See, so often we want things to happen in our timing, don't we? We, we have these dreams for this relationship or this career or, or where we need to be financially or whatever. And, and so often we're like, well, God, why isn't this happening right now? And God's going, hold on, hold on, hold on. I haven't forgotten about you. You hold on. The best is yet to come, but listen, my timing is perfect. And if we can learn that, man, just be patient in the Lord. Hold on. God will fulfill his desires for us in his timing, not our timing, his timing. And his timing is always perfect. It's always better than our timing. Paul goes on, he says, but just as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. He's going, God's got a plan for you. God's got an awesome purpose for you. God hasn't forgotten about you. You hold on to him. You stay strong in him. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Do you know what amen means? Amen means, so let it be. <laughs> amen means, so I agree. You know, when we pray at a meal or we pray together and we say, amen, what are we saying? I agree. Praise God. I agree. I agree with what you said. I agree with what you prayed. He says, it's about Christ. He is the amen. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I love that. Here's the incredible truth. As God draws you to himself, as God invites you into this relationship with him through Christ, there comes a time that we respond, right? We step in faith. And when we give our lives to Christ, God places within us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is his deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What's another name for the Holy Spirit? Comforter, right? When we go through the hard times, we experience the comfort of Christ. It's God's Holy Spirit working within us. In the deposit of God, the Holy Spirit in us. God put his seal of ownership over us. It's like if you're building a new house and you're, you, know, you start to work on it, you put a deposit down saying, that's my house. And then you watch it you know, being built and you're seeing it come together and you're like, I can't wait, right? I can't wait. And that's what God does with his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit in us saying, you are my son or daughter. You are my child and my seal is on you. The Holy Spirit, the deposit guaranteeing what is to come that one day you see in part, but one day you will see fully. One day you will experience eternal life. One day you will be with God face to face and the deposit of the Holy Spirit guarantees. So the Apostle Paul, first truth that he wants the people to get, and I believe what God wants us to get, is comfort. When you go through those whole times, when you go through the difficulties, you hold on, you be brave, you understand that God is for you, you understand that God is with you. And then the Apostle Paul shifts gears. The second truth that he wants to write on their hearts is this, joy. Joy. He keeps going here and he says, I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved. I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. 
Four times in four verses, the Apostle Paul uses the word joy. And what the Apostle Paul wants them to know is there's joy even in the hardships. There is joy in this life. That God created you to experience life and have life to the full. You know, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. What does he come to do? The devil comes to steal our joy. The devil comes to to rob our worth and our value, you know, to kill our lives. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So I want to ask you, do you have joy in life? Do you have joy in your Christian walk? Sometimes, you know, we can go, well, you know, I'm I'm serious all the time. And, And that's okay. I mean, we want to grow deeper in our faith. But Our growth also comes in joy. Our growth also comes as we experience life. Our growth also comes as we live out the word of God. Is there joy in your life? To me, a boring Christian is an oxymoron. I mean, you know, at some point you understand what we have in Christ. You understand that our eternity is secure, that God is for us, and that ought to erupt in joy. Now, there's a difference between joy and happiness, right? Happiness is based on circumstances, and our circumstances change. But joy is based on Christ. And Jesus Christ does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is for you. And he wants you to have joy. He wants you to understand. We've all been blessed. When you look at our lives, we've been blessed beyond measure in so many ways. And we ought to be a living testimony to a God of joy. He says, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. You hear this kind of parental Ah, man, I love you. I love you. I care about you. And I want you to know a God of comfort. I want you to know a God of joy. And then the Apostle Paul, he hits on this part. There were some people who were mad at him because he didn't show up. And and, and he's like, guys, I'm sorry, but I forgive you. I mean, I'm going to come. I'll be there. He says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. You know what robs our joy so often is this whole idea of not being willing to forgive. And so many times in our lives, you know, we carry around this burden, we carry around this bitterness, we carry around this regret, or we carry around this animosity towards somebody else, and and, and we don't have joy because we're so upset. And at some point in our lives, we have to forgive. And it's not easy. It's not. I understand that. But the Apostle Paul, I mean, this guy was shipwrecked. He was beaten. You know, he's all these things that he endured. He said, guys, I've got to forgive. I've got to let go of my life. Just as I've been forgiven, I can forgive. Is there somebody in your life you need to forgive? Is there somebody who still has control over you because you're not willing to let go? You're not willing to forgive? You're not willing to put it at the altar? Is robbing your joy... Is it robbing your love for life? Is it strangling you? Paul keeps going. He says, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the door, the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. And then the apostle Paul paints this incredible picture. I love love this picture that he paints right here. 
in verse 14, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. And through it spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ. Think about that. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, the smell of death, the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. So he's talking about this triumphal procession. Let me see if I can paint this picture for you. Uh, back in the ancient world, the Romans, I mean, they were an incredible fighting machine, okay? I mean, they would go and they would conquer all these places. They basically conquered the world. Well, the Romans did a great job of kind of elevating their generals and celebrating their generals. In fact, if you were a general and you went off to battle in a foreign place and you killed at least 5,000 people, right? And you extended the Roman territory. You know, you had all these markers. You could come back and they would have a, a triumphant processional throughout the streets of Rome for you. Now, this only happened like one time in a general's life. I mean, it was a big deal. This wasn't for a civil war. This was a, you had to be like top general. And they would come back in this triumphal procession. Think about a ticker tape parade, okay? Because everybody in Rome would line the streets. They would have the Roman Senate who would go first. Behind the Roman Senate would be the trumpeters. And behind the trumpeters would be some of the captive leaders. And they would be in chains. Behind them would be bulls that would be sacrificed. Behind them would be musicians. And then behind the musicians would be the priest. And the priest would be swinging the incense, this aroma. And then after that would be the general. And the general would be in his chariot with four white horses and just all decorated. And behind him would be his family. And they're going through the streets and everybody's celebrating. And the picture that the apostle Paul is painting is this. One day our general's coming back. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The first time Jesus came, right, he came in humility. He came in his grace and his mercy and his love. But when he comes the second time, he is coming in all of his power. He is coming in all of his glory. And there's not a person in the world who will miss him. He is the triumphant general. He has conquered death. He has conquered sin. He has made a way for us to have eternity. And he says, you know what we are? We are the sweet aroma of Christ. We're going before and we're preparing the way. We're the aroma of Jesus. Just kind of look over next to you and take a whiff. The person next to you. I'm just kidding. But do they smell like Jesus? I mean, I hope they put on deodorant today, okay? But, you know, but do they smell like Jesus? Because, listen, they are the sweet aroma of Christ. You're the sweet aroma of Christ. And when you walk into your house, you're the aroma of Christ. When you walk into your workplace, you're the aroma of Christ. When you walk in your neighborhood, you're the aroma of Christ, saying that the general is coming. The celebration is going to begin, and it's all about him. And that's the third truth that the Apostle Paul wants us to understand is Christ. He talks about comfort. He talks about joy. And now he just says, Christ, it's all about Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need to, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul goes, man, I want you to have joy in the hardships, but I want you to know more than anything else. It's all about Christ. And he says to this church, he goes, guys, you're the letter God is writing on your heart. 
And Paul goes, I'm writing on your heart comfort. I'm joy. But above all, I want you to know Christ. I want Christ to be the Lord of your heart, the Lord of your life. We're not writing on tablets of stone. What are tablets of stone? We go back to the Ten Commandments, right? The old covenant. The old covenant. The stone. He says, but we're writing on a new covenant. The new covenant is the heart of a relationship with God because it's through Christ that you experience a heart transformation of love. It's what God has done. And so Paul pouring into these people and just saying, I love you guys. I want you to know this. I want you to get this. It's about Christ. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competency comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? What is he talking about there? Well, do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments? Moses saw the face of God. Can you imagine? I mean, Moses saw God. And what happened was he then, his face radiated God. He took on the Shekinah glory of God. And so when he came down off the mountains, he's holding the Ten Commandments and they had to put a veil over Moses' face because it shines so bright. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, look, here's the old covenant. Here's the stone tablets that Moses brought down. And what the stone tablets do, they don't tell you, the Ten Commandments don't tell you how to be saved. The Ten Commandments don't tell you how to go to heaven. The Ten Commandments tell you how far we are from God, right? The Ten Commandments show us how far short we have fallen. The, you know, the Ten Commandments say, do not murder. You say, well, okay, maybe I've got that one. And then Jesus comes along and says, well, if you hate somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. Yikes. The Ten Commandments say, do not commit adultery. And Jesus says, well, if you've lusted after somebody in your heart, you've committed adultery. Uh, it shows us how far. Holy God, sinful man, we have so far to go. And he says, but, but people love because that was from the law. But just imagine this. Now God sent the remedy. Now God sent Christ. Redemption. And how much more glorious is the new covenant of salvation that when we had fallen short, God made a way for us in Jesus. And God changes our hearts. And one day, because of the grace of God in Christ, we too will see God face to face face the Shekinah glory of God. Wow. He says, the best is yet to come. The old covenant, man, but the new covenant is Christ and in Christ and Christ alone. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Exclamation point. Verse 10, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory and if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which last? Exclamation point. When you are in Christ, you are eternal. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins now. When you accept Christ, your body decays, but your spirit goes on. You have eternal life in Christ. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And isn't that true? 
When you gave your heart and your life to Christ as God drew you to himself, it was like, then you started to read God's word. This makes sense. This is, it's like the veil was taken away and you're going, oh, wow, why? Because the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. Now, verse 17, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. What is he saying? He's saying you and I, as we grow in our faith, as we mature in our faith, we're becoming more and more like Christ. And that's the goal of every believer. That's the goal of every Christian, that our lives are conformed to the image of Christ. But he says, then you and I have the opportunity to pour back into others to share the love and the grace we've received with others. That just as when you were growing up, that people poured into you, people saw potential in you, whether it was a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, whether it was a Sunday school teacher, somebody poured into you and saw potential and God's saying, now it's your turn. Now it's your time. Because of the comfort you've received, because of the joy of Christ, you then begin to pour into others. The other night, uh, my daughter Grace graduated from fifth grade, right? So we, we went to the fifth grade graduation and we were sitting there. And while I'm watching my daughter walk across the stage, I had this flashbacks. If you're a parent or grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I just flashed back and I thought back to when she was a baby. And I remember holding her in my arms. I just remember how sweet and just awesome and that feeling. And and then I started thinking about her growing up. And now here I am watching her at the age of 11, walking across the stage. 11 years, I'm like, where did it go? Why did it go so fast, you know? I mean, slow down. 11. In five more years, she's gonna be driving. In seven more years, she's going off to college, you know? And I just thought, whoa. And as I was preparing for for today and thinking about the Apostle Paul and what he was saying is, I'm writing on your hearts, I'm writing on your hearts. And I was thinking, what am I writing on her heart? What would Grace say that that her dad has been writing on her heart? What would my daughter say are the things that are so important to me that I wanna make sure she knows this above anything else? I want her to know this. You see, all of us, we're writing letters. (laughs) And maybe not with ink and on paper or with a pen, but all of us are writing letters. And what are you writing? What are you writing on the hearts of those that you love? What are you writing on the hearts of your children or your grandchildren or your nieces or your nephews? What are you writing on the hearts of those you teach in Sunday school or in a small group? What are you writing Inside your worship guide, there's a card. I wanna ask everybody to pull this out if you have this. This is for all of us today. This is, this is an all skate, so uh, if you can all pull this out. It's a card that looks like this. The best is yet to come. But it says this. What three things do you want people to say about you? What three things do you want people to say? This is what was significant to them. This is what was important to them. This is what they poured into me. Our worship team's gonna come and they're gonna sing a song over us, a song that Leo and David Curtis wrote and it's just so powerful. But while they're doing that, I wanna ask you to take out a pen. There should be a pen around you. There's pens on all the seats and I want you to just take a moment right now 
take a moment and write down three things. Three things that you want to write on the hearts of those that you love. As we begin this summer, what are you saying for the next 60 days, right? Summer, 60 days, eight weeks. What are you going to write? What are you going to share? Maybe like Paul, man, I want you guys to know comfort. I want you to be brave and stand firm. Or maybe like Paul, I want you to be joyful. I want you to have joy. I don't want you to get so weighed down by everything that this world has. I want you to know the joy of Christ. Maybe for you, it's just Christ. I just want them to know Christ. I need to have a spiritual conversation with a, with a roommate. I need to have a spiritual conversation with a niece or a nephew. I need to have a spiritual conversation. I, I don't want to just fight through the summer and, and go on like it didn't happen. And I want to make this a time of growth. What three things? Just write a letter, just a note to yourself. What three things do you want people to say one day, thank you? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for writing on my heart. Thank you for being there, for speaking truth. As our worship team sings, I just want to give you a chance. Take an opportunity. What three things do you want to write? on our hearts and God says now you you be the sweet aroma of Christ you share my love my grace and I was writing I think the three things for me just number one love I want my girls this summer to know that I love them I don't want them one day looking for love from another man because they didn't receive it from their dad I want you church to know that I love you that God loves you and he does he's got a great plan for you second word I wrote is just confidence. I, I want my girls to have to be confident in the Lord and what God has for them and find their worth and their value in Him. And I pray for all of us, confidence. And then the third is just Christ. I want them to know Christ. I just, out of everything, I want them to know Him and fall in love with Jesus long after I'm dead and gone, you know, <laughs> and spending time with God in eternity. I want them to hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. I don't know about what, for you but here's what I'm going to ask you to do there's an envelope inside your 
worship God as well. If you would just take a moment and place that card in your, that envelope and here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna ask you to put your name and address on the outside of the envelope. And then in just a moment, there's a, a basket, an altar kind of set up in the middle of the room right here. And so as our worship team plays and sings, whenever you're ready, I wanna invite you to bring this with your address on it and drop it in the basket. You can see from the 930 service, there's a lot of cards already in there. And at the end of the summer, we're gonna mail this back to you. At the end of the summer, we're gonna mail this to you and just as an encouragement to you and say, hey, here's the commitment we're making as we begin this summer. Here's what God's calling us to do together. And so let me pray for us and then let's have a chance to respond. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Oh God, we sent you here. Thank you for your word and for your truth. Thank you, Father, for pouring into us, for the gift of salvation for Christ. Thank you for people who've gone before us, who have seen potential in us and recognize that the best was yet to come in our lives. And God, thank you for people like the Apostle Paul who just teaches us. Parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. And Father, now now you've called us. And so I pray right now as we make this commitment to you, I pray as we dedicate this summer to you, Father, that you would do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. That God, you would write your name on our hearts. That we would find our worth and our value in you. And that God, out of an overflow of what you're doing in us, we would pour out to others. I pray this is the best summer yet. I pray that God, you do a great work. And right now, we dedicate our lives to you. In the name of Christ, we pray and we respond. Amen. Whenever you're ready, you're welcome to come. awesome series you guys 
And God's going to challenge us and grow us as his disciples. After the service, I'll be here. If there's something that you need somebody to pray with you or pray for you, guys, that's what the church is for. You're not alone in this life. God is with you. God is for you. And you've got a body who wants to walk with you as well. And so you can come up. I'll be here. People on our staff, our pastoral care team will be here. We'd love to talk with you. love to pray with you. God is at work. It's going to be an amazing summer. And I pray that this is a summer you grow deeper in your faith and stronger in the Lord than ever before and deeper in his word and his truth. And then that God uses us as the sweet aroma of Christ for his name and for his glory. At this time, I want to invite our ushers to come. It's a chance for us to give back to God, a chance for us to invest in his kingdom. You know, if you're a first-time guest, all we ask is that you give us your communication card and we could follow up with you and tell you what God's doing in and through his church and great ways to get involved. And then on the back is a place for prayer requests. And if this is your church, Rolling Hills, opportunity for us to give financially and make a difference in the world for God's name. And while we have the opportunity to give this morning, you're also going to see a video of last week. Last week, we had the churches left the building and 700 plus people out serving 30 different ministry sites. And it was awesome. And seeing kids and adults and everybody. And I'm so proud of you, church. I just love it. I love being where God's moving so clearly. So let me pray for us right now. Father, you are good. And Father, thank you for writing your name on our heart. The deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And Father, you are not finished with any of us, God. The best is yet to be in our lives. I believe it. And you're still writing your story. And so, Father, fill us today with joy and with peace, with purpose, with love and with confidence and with Christ. And God, we thank you for your presence today. Father, we dedicate every commitment that's been made this morning. And we dedicate our lives to you. Thanks for an opportunity to give back. Take what is given. Bless it. Use it for your glory. In the name of Jesus. We pray, we give. Amen. Amen. I'm Anna Grace and I'm the church. We're John and Linda Taylor. We're the church. My name is Vonda and I am the church. I'm Cami and I'm the church. I'm Addison Reed and I am the church. my second year doing Church Has Left the Building. Um, last year I was able to try it out and I, I had so much fun being able to serve. Um, I feel like God has called me to serve and so I love being able to share my faith with people and serve others and so I'm really excited to participate this year. It's what we're called to do, love God and love others. My favorite thing is that just like the whole church does it. It's just, just a great family community thing and just being out. And they make it fun to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not just like, oh, we gotta go do this. It's fun. It helps me interact with uh, the community around us that, and let them know that uh, Jesus loves them and uh, that we're here to help and serve. I serve regularly at church, but um, I, I feel like I'm made for more and I, I need to reach out to, to other people in my community.
uh, in Nashville and in Franklin, um, we don't really see um, a lot of people in kind of unfortunate situations. And so, um, you know, coming out here, I feel like I, it really opened my eyes um, to the need that, that people in our community really have. I hope that the folks in this community know that Rolling Hills is here for them and, and we want to be, them to be a part of our family too. And the great part about doing this is that our kids get to see that it doesn't matter what your age is, you can do something to help others in the community and we get to do it as a family so we're building memories together of serving together. I'm Serena, and I'm Brittany, and, and we're, we're the, the church. church. I'm Cindy, and I'm the church. Hi, I'm Rock, and I'm the church. My name is Katie, and I am the church. I'm Ava, and I'm the church. I'm Logan, and I'm the church. Uh, well, great job, you guys. Way to go, church. That was awesome. <laughs> so, I love it. Love it. Love what God's doing. It's just so exciting. And this is going to be an amazing summer. Let's stand together. Let me pray a blessing over us. And then let's go and live out his word, live out his truth. Father, thanks for today, God, and your word and your worship, Father, and just seeing a church that serves both here in our community and around the world. And Father, to you be all glory, God. Let us be the sweet aroma of Christ this week. Father, in every relationship and every place we are. And God, send us out filled with the grace and the peace of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we go. Amen. Amen. Have a great week and God bless.